Today I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so you'll want to follow along on the screen behind me. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. I tell you the truth, Jesus is speaking, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent people are attacking it. For before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. And if you're willing to accept what I say, he's Elijah. One prophet said would come, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. To what can I compare this generation, Jesus says. It's like a children playing a game in the public square. They complained to their friends. We played a wedding song, you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs, you didn't mourn. For John didn't spend his time eating and drinking. You say he's possessed by a demon. The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom, wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray in Jesus' name as we study it this morning, you'd give us wisdom. It's in your name. Amen. Would you have your seat? Open your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 11. Take your journal out. The life principle today, life principle in the title of your page, live to advance the kingdom. Live to advance the kingdom. 1 Samuel chapter 11 as well. You want to keep your finger in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. John the Baptist John the Baptist was actively advancing the kingdom of God. He lived the truth that Paul would write later, be a good soldier, don't get involved in civilian affairs. His life would express the truth that Jesus is communicating in this particular passage. The kingdom is forcefully advancing and we're at war with the enemy. We might ask, well, how does the kingdom advance? Well, it's simple. It's a spiritual kingdom, so spiritual things will happen. People's lives will change, and they will go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and salvation. Christians will no longer do the deeds of the darkness. They will do the deeds of the light, and you'll see sanctification. That's the advancing of the kingdom of God. When people are saved and when people are being sanctified, the battle of faith rages on, and the enemy is defeated. But in this, there's a truth for all believers. There's a truth that Jesus is communicating in Matthew chapter 11. The Holy Spirit makes sure that we know that the kingdom of heaven is to forcefully advance. And we're going to see this true picture in Saul's life. Now, we got to keep in mind, Saul is not who he became at this point. Saul has just been anointed the king of Israel. And Saul's job was to save the people from the enemy and to live an exemplary life. This was his right. This was his responsibility. This was his duty. Look with me, 1 Samuel chapter 10, just a couple of verses above chapter 11. Let's see what he says there in verse 25. Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship. So he was to live an exemplary life, and he was to save the people of Israel. And he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. 
Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his own home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor, whose hearts God had touched. There were people that surrounded Saul and says, I'm with you. But, but some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. Like Saul, the Bible says we're a royal priesthood. We've been given the duties and the rights of the king. We are to live holy, exemplary lives, and we are to save those who are lost by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But oftentimes, we focus more on those that are against us than those that are for us. Oftentimes, those that are against us can intimidate us and can intimidate Christians to actually share their duty and their right. Oftentimes, the people that oppose and despise believers, they can weaken our courage to communicate because the enemy has a desire to silence us. And here's the truth why. He wants people to go to hell. And the best way for that to happen is to intimidate and silence believers and to keep them quiet on the, the war that is being waged. Worse yet, I even find, in the church, the people don't even realize we're in a war. People don't even realize we're fighting every day. In fact, I see many Christians operating as if we're not at war. But he's convinced us, well, maybe quite possibly that we're not at war. You know the picture of the soldiers with the, sorry, the picture of the soldiers with the flag. Do we have it? Maybe not. Yes? No. Go back to the devil. <laughs> You're laughing. That's my point. Because many of you think that's the devil. And in the American culture, he's done a great job of presenting himself as a cartoon caricature so none of us believe him. So that none of us believe that he exists. So that we are kind of wooed out of the war that we are in. We just dismiss him as a cartoon character. But gang, let me tell you, he's real. He's so real. Take a look. It's 1 Samuel chapter 11, right there in the second word. Then Nahash. Stop there. I know we won't stay that long, but then Nahash. You need to circle that word, and I need to let you know what it means. It means snake. Because the enemy of Israel is a snake in the grass. And the enemy, the enemy of the people of God is the snake, the enemy. And we never have to wonder about that snake in the grass. He's in the fields of life. Don't wonder if he's going to strike. We've got to be prepared because he's just waiting for the right chance to strike. Take a look as we continue. Nahash, the snake in the grass, the Ammonite, went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a treaty with us and we'll serve you. Now, Jabesh Gilead were the people of Israel and they're saying to the enemy, be at peace with us. And Nahash the Ammonite said to them, on this condition I'll make a treaty with you, 
that I gouge out all your eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, give us seven days respite that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then if there's no one to save us, we'll give ourselves up to you. And when the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people and all the people wept out loud. Nahash, the enemy, is smart. He knows this war is going to cost me if there's a resistance. So he says to them, listen, you can go to all of Israel. There's no king. There's no one putting you guys together. You can go to all of Israel and see if anyone will do anything for you. I would rather you just surrender. I know that this is going to cost me a lot of money. So I'm going to let you go and do this, and then you'll just surrender to me. And so they leave. And they go out and see if they can get some help. And Nahash, the snake in the grass, he knows when to attack. Jabesh Gilead, I want you to write it down in your notes. This word means dry. It means dry. Because the snake in the grass knows exactly when to attack the believer when we are disconnected from God. In the dry times, in the desert times of our life, he knows that's the moment to, to attack. That's why it's so important as believers that we, are, our spiritual life is so vital that we are investing into our spiritual life, coming to church and being encouraged by believers, singing worship songs led by Mike or the rest of the worship team. Maybe it's your own personal devotions, your prayer life. But it's so vital that you keep your spiritual life energetic because it's in the dry moments that the snake in the grass knows that's when to attack. But as well, Jabesh Gilead, Jabesh Gilead had a bitter pill with Israel. Now I'm going to go all the way back to the book of Judges for just a minute because Jabesh Gilead was, well, they're still recovering from something that happened so long ago. Israel went on the attack, but there was one town that didn't show up. It's Jabesh Gilead. And when they went on the attack and came home and realized Jabesh Gilead didn't go with them, well, the Israelites, they went into Jabesh Gilead and they killed everybody in the town except 400 women. Well, when the enemy comes on the scene and they got a bitter pill against the people of God, sound familiar, church? Listen, the church is filled with humanity and none of us are perfect. And we're going to offend each other. It's just what humanity does. We have a tendency to make people upset. That's just what we do. Now, will we leave the church? Will we go make a peace treaty with the world? Will we try to find church in another place outside of the church of the living God? Well, that's what Jabesh Gilead is doing. I'm mad at the people of God. Look what they did to us. They're humanity. We have Jesus to look to. Our only option is forgiveness, and we have an opportunity to move forward by faith. But Jabez Gilead said, no, 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 I would rather make peace with the world. So, hey, can we have peace with you? And he goes, sure, I'd love to have peace with you, and here's what's going to cost. I get to gouge your eyes out and disgrace you. Are you kidding me? Gang, there's no peace with the enemy. His only goal is to destroy you. His only goal is to disgrace you. But most people live their lives trying to make peace with the enemy and discover his goal of destruction way too late. 
They've been tricked, they've been duped, they've bitten the hook. They think they're the only one that can escape, but they have bitten the hook and realized, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm this destroyed. And it's at that moment when they realize that the enemy's goal and the peace tree they made was only to gouge out their eye and to bring disgrace, that you, the believer, are right in their life. That you've lived the exemplary life. That you've been holy, that you've been different. Something about you is joyful. Something about you is able to carry on. Something about you looks on and says, wow, you're different. I'm walking through my life's crisis. You're in my world. Can I ask you a question? Listen, will you save me? And that's what Jabez Gilead does. Jabez Gilead sends out, someone save us. We've been duped by the enemy. We need your help. And how do the people respond? The Bible says in verse 4, they wept. Maybe I'll tell you about some of the kids that Andrea saw in Myanmar. They don't get three square meals. Maybe I'll tell you about the Iranian Christians that are being persecuted or what if I tell you about the Chinese who are capturing Christians on false crimes of the state, jailing them, and even executing them? Something happens in our heart, right? There's an emotion that gets stirred. And I'm not trying to stir an emotion, I'm giving you reality. And when the people heard these things about Jabesh Gilead, they had an emotion. They wept. But they didn't do anything. They had an emotion. They, they, they felt it. But they didn't do anything. And the Bible says that there's a person that actually does. You see, the life principles that we need to live to advance the kingdom and we can only do this by the power of the Spirit of God, working in normal people like you and me. And there's an emotion that gets evoked when I say, let's live to advance the kingdom. But what are we going to choose to do about that emotion? Saul, for us, is going to set the example. Would you look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 11? I'm going to pick it up in verse 5. Now behold... Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. Now remember, he's been anointed king, but Saul's a farmer. He's just going to do back, go back and do his thing. He doesn't know what this whole kingdom king thing is. He's just doing what's right in front of him. And Saul said, what's wrong with the people that they're weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the spirit of God rushed upon Saul. Now I've underlined that in my Bible. When he heard these words and his anger was greatly kindled. The Spirit of God rushed on Saul. The Spirit of God came upon him like the Spirit of God came on David and he wrote the Psalms. Like the Spirit of God came on David and he defeated Goliath. Like the Spirit of God came on Samson and he was as strong as he was. The Spirit of God came upon him like the Spirit of God came upon Mary. And the angel announces in Luke chapter 1, I'll read it for you, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, you've got to remember, Mary was a virgin. Mary had never known a man. 
But when the Spirit of God came on Mary, she became a different woman. She went from a virgin woman to a pregnant woman by the Spirit of the, of the living God coming upon her. She became a different person. And this is what's happening to Saul. And it's what happens to all of us when we have the Spirit upon us. You remember Saul just in the last chapter. They anoint him king. He's hanging out, hiding in baggage claim. He doesn't want anyone to know. He's behind the suitcases going, don't pick me, please. Don't pick me. He was terrified and he was afraid. Something's happened. Because now he's infuriated. Now he's angry. And now he's become a different man. No longer afraid. Saul wants to do something about it because he's filled with the Spirit. And gang, let me tell you something. There are things that should make Christians mad. There are things that should make Christians angry. When I was in Liberia and I saw a four-year-old holding an M16 and a seven and eight-year-old holding rocket grenade launchers, it made me angry. It made me so angry that I started a ministry and rescued 1,500 child soldiers because I did not want another child to die foolishly. It made me angry and gang. When we hear things in our world that go against the living God, something should happen where we are angry, but we do not sin. That's the exhortation in Ephesians 4. This kind of anger does something about it. This kind of anger takes passionate action to advance the kingdom of God. And that's exactly what Saul does. Let's pick it up there in 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 7. He took a yoke of oxen, he cut them in pieces, sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers, saying, whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to, uh, to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people and they came out as one man. If you're taking note, we can advance the kingdom of God by doing the work of the Spirit. By doing the work of the Spirit. The Spirit of God has rushed on Saul and now the Spirit is going to do this work. And I want you to see how he's doing the work. He is passionately doing the work. Saul, he takes his oxen. He cuts them up. Now, I know something's happening in your heart. This is gross. It's Sunday morning. Kind of work with us here. Make this a little bit more friendlier. Can you read the message version? I'm sure it doesn't sound like that in the message version. Gang, listen. It happened. I'm just reading it. And Saul is passionate about saving these people. So passionate, he cuts up the oxen. Now, gang, we're going to get a little PG-13 for a moment because I'm going to fill you in on Jabesh Gilead. It's in the book of Judges, the last three chapters. You can read it. There's an Israeli guy. He's got a girlfriend. This girlfriend goes, I don't want you anymore. He, she leaves. The boyfriend goes, you want me, and I'm going to come and get you. So the boyfriend leaves, goes and finds the girlfriend picks up the girlfriend from dad's house, takes him back to his house. Now remember, it's in the Bible exposing the sin of the Israelites. This is not something we're supposed to follow, okay? So he goes and gets the girl and says, you're gonna come home and live with me. Now we know we don't want our couples living together before they get married. So this is an example of God exposing sin, right? So we have this thing, he goes back. They get tired on the way home. 
So the boyfriend and girlfriend are going through the tribe of Benjamin. They decide, Israeli law, that when a stranger comes into town, you have to accommodate them. There's no hotels at this time in Israel. So they're waiting in the marketplace. This guy comes along and says, hey, you can stay with me. So boyfriend and girlfriend go and stay, but the men of the town, they see the guy, and he's a good-looking guy. So they come in on the scene, they knock on the door of the guy's house and say, let the guy out, we want to know him. Now, in the Bible, when the Bible says I want to know someone, sometimes it's not like what you think it is, right? Like, they, these, these guys, they want to know him. Like, they want him to really be known, right? Okay? The guy goes, please don't take this guy. Well, in this interchange, the girlfriend is at the door and she gets grabbed and taken outside and dies. So the guy, PG-13, here we go. The guy the next morning cuts up his girlfriend and sends her to all the 12 tribes of Israel. It's in the Bible. And you're reading this going, what is going on in the book of Judges? Well, when Israel finds out what the tribe of Benjamin did, all 11 tribes gathered against Benjamin and said, you can't do this in the holy land of Israel. And they went into Israel and into Benjamin and slaughtered everyone except 600 people. They gather after the battle and they go, who didn't show up? Who didn't show up to help us fight? Guess who didn't show up? Jabesh Gilead, the bitter pill. So the 11 tribes of Israel went into Jabesh Gilead and killed everyone except 400 women. And those 400 women were given to the 600 men that were left of Benjamin so the tribe of Benjamin would not be obliterated. Saul's a Benjamite. Saul is related to Jabesh Gilead. And when Saul hears that Jabesh Gilead's in trouble, that's family. And Saul goes, we're going to save them. He says it passionately. And he sends out, just like the man did in the book of Judges, pieces of oxen saying, you better come. Remember our history is what he's saying. And the Bible says the dread of the Lord came upon them. Now, let me make the dread of the Lord a little more common for us. They were convicted by the Holy Spirit. That's the word. They sensed conviction, the dread of the Lord upon them. Now, let me explain. Saul sends the messengers out, much like God gives a pastor a message. And when the pastor starts teaching, all of a sudden, this is what I see. Did you call him? How does he know? I see kids looking at their parents. He knows. You told him. That's why he's preaching this. I see wives looking at their husbands. Hope you're listening. Talked about this last night. I see this happening. I want to let you know. I don't know. The Spirit of God gives a message, and then the Spirit of God uses the message that I'm teaching to bring conviction onto your hearts. And the dread of the Lord comes upon us to where we are convicted. We're convicted. This is a work of the Spirit. He works passionately, and he works with conviction. Let me explain how this works. Because this is the work of the Spirit. You can read it in John chapter 16. He's to convict the world of righteousness. Here's how it works. You hear the word of God. The Spirit goes, 
Listen up. This one's for you. Then you have a response. You know inside, you know what I'm saying is right. You know what the word of God is communicating is right. But then your decision is whether or not you will respond right. Last week, man, I was so convicted when you talked about volunteering your service to the Lord. I was so convicted, like, I've been at this church for 10 years, I've not served anywhere. Another person, I was so convicted when you spoke on service, I gotta go call Miss Debbie and see if she, I can volunteer at Camp Coast. These were real conversations I had last week. I was so convicted, I was so convicted. I didn't know what people were doing, what the Spirit of God was doing. The Spirit of God was working. That's called conviction. And I want you to see how the people responded. Would you look with me at verse eight? At verse eight. 1 Samuel chapter 11, when he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. So that's 330,000 men gathered. And they said to the messengers who had come, thus you'll say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh Gilead, they were glad they were glad. Look at their response of the work of the Spirit. Saul is passionate. Conviction has happened, and they gathered as one man at Bezek. They were unified. We're about 12, 1,500 people here at this church. Can you imagine if we all showed up? We've got, a, we got an event. It's our back-to-school event. It's going to happen in August. Can you imagine if we all showed up at the Aliso Town Center, and we all invited our friends? Can you imagine the impact of the gospel in Aliso Town Center if we all showed up and rallied behind as one person? Can you imagine if Adam didn't have to say, hey gang, we need 200 volunteers and we already had the 200. In fact, we had a waiting list of volunteers. Can you imagine 330,000 people showed up? That's a big number. And I want you to see how they showed up. They showed up Bezek. They named it Bezek. And you know why they named it Bezek? Because that name means lightning. As soon as they heard it, they responded. I'm embarrassed of that. Because I don't know about you guys. Sometimes the Spirit will speak to me. He'll say something to me. And it takes me a while to respond. It's not a Bezek. It's not like, Spirit speaks, I respond. It's more like a train. Whoa, whoa. Can you confirm it, Jesus? Can you confirm it one more time? Can you just show me in the scripture? Can someone come up to me? And I start doing the Gideon's fleece thing, like, okay, Lord, let's do this today. Instead of the Bezek, where it's a lightning response, just like the children of Israel, filled with the conviction of the Spirit, 330,000 people look up and look at their courage. Look at their confidence. Tell the people of Jabesh Gilead, we're coming to save them. Imagine if you go to work like that tomorrow. Tell the people at my work, I'm coming to save you. You're going to hear about Jesus today. Imagine if you showed up at your school. Tell that school, I'm on my way, and I'm going to see them saved. Imagine if we did this work of the Spirit of God to seek and to save the lost. Listen to their confidence. Listen to their courage. We're coming to save you. You guys know I was a lifeguard. Can you imagine if someone's drowning? I come down off my tower and I go, oh gosh, what am I going to do? 
oh man. I get to the water, I'm like, okay, I got this red thing, what do I do with it? I don't know. Then I said, okay, I'm gonna swim out, and I get there and I go, hey, are you okay? And they go, dude, I'm drowning. Like, you know, you're the lifeguard. Like, could you act a <laughs> You are making me very, I don't know if I can save you, you're kind of a big person. Can you imagine what they're thinking when I would come out and I would say, hey, um, I think you're on your own, guy. I'm going to go back and get somebody else, okay? They would be like, are you kidding me? Don't come back. I've got no confidence in you. In fact, I'll never forget. I will never forget. I was sitting in my tower one day, and we had sharks come all the time, but we never pulled the people out of the water because you would wait for the shark to go away because everyone freaks out with the shark, and you don't want all that splashing happening, Right? So I saw this shark, and unfortunately, there was a mom and two kids, and the shark fin came up. So she sees the shark fin, and the shark's not swimming towards her, but she feels, she hears the sound. I can almost watch the movie. So I'm coming down. I see the shark. I don't want to agitate the water. She's got a kid here and a kid here, and she's coming up the beach, up out of the water, just like this. Her husband is on the shore. This was him, okay? Now, this is confident. Husband, courageous, right? Husband goes like this. Now, imagine that's the water line. Runs up to the water. Come on, you can make it. Come on. And when the water would come up, he backed up like this. Come on. Then the water would come and he'd go, come on. She makes it onto the shore, walks up to him, backslaps him, and I look at him and I go, hire an attorney. It's going to be a rough one. Can you imagine approaching fathering with that kind of lack of confidence? But here, this is not when you're doing the work of the Spirit. They're passionate. They're courageous. They come with lightning speed, convicted by the Spirit, doing the work of the Spirit to seek and to save the lost. That's the work of the Spirit to seek and to save the lost. That's where Jesus is glorified. You see, the work of the Spirit is found in John 16. His work is to glorify Jesus. And there's nothing more glorifying than seeing someone saved, rescuing them from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And let me tell you something. I've never had anyone mad at me that they got saved. I've never had anyone at the end of the prayer go, I cannot believe you just led me to heaven. Now, what am I going to have to do? Be saved? Like, I'm going to get eternal life now? I can't believe you made me pray that prayer. Let me tell you what happened. They're glad. They're relieved. And God has put me in their life at their moment. And they needed help. And they said, can you help me? And we get to lead them straight to Jesus. And the Bible says, the men of Jabesh Gilead were glad. That's the work of the Spirit. But I want you to write this down. We also have the wisdom of the Spirit to advance the kingdom. We've got the wisdom of the Spirit to advance the kingdom. Take a look with me. Let's continue our story in verse 10. Therefore, the men of Jabesh Gilead said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day, Saul put the people in three companies. I want you to keep that in your mind. And they came into the midst of the camp in the morning, watch, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. We have the, the wisdom of the Spirit to advance the kingdom. The men of Jabesh Gilead said, hey, uh, we'll surrender tomorrow. They're not really going to surrender. 
They're out strategizing the enemy. And the Spirit of God is wise enough to out strategize the enemy. Listen to this. I'll read it for you. It's found in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. I'll read it for you. Ephesians chapter 6. The Bible says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Verse 10. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is scheming against you. And the spirit knows what the devil is doing. You've got the unfair advantage over the enemy because the spirit knows what he's going to do if you'll just ask him for the wisdom he promises to give it to you. And let me show you how smart he is. Saul says to the people, divide up into three companies. I need to remind you of something. Saul's not a fighter. He's a farmer. He's plowing fields. He's never fought a war in his life. He's got no idea what he's doing. And he divides into three companies. Saul, where'd you learn that? Where'd that come from? How did you know? You don't know anything about military. He's got the spirit of God. Let me explain how it works. Judges chapter seven, Saul knows the story. When Gideon went to battle with 300 men, he divided them into three companies. Saul knows the story. Well, if it worked for Gideon and God had the story passed on to me, maybe it'll work for me. Let's divide the three companies up into 330,000 people into three different companies and let's watch the word of God in action. That's wisdom. When we learn the word of God, and we apply it into our everyday life, that's where we begin to advance the kingdom of God. Spiritual knowledge rightly applied in our everyday life. Now let's take a look and see how wisdom goes in action. Take a look at verse 12. So the people said to Samuel, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring those men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. This is wisdom in action. You see, huge battle, huge victory, and everyone goes, Saul's really the anointed king of Israel. He learned his role from the word. He knew he was to save Israel. He knew he was to save the people of Israel. Samuel heard it from the Lord. Samuel communicates it to Saul, and Saul chooses wisely to live by the word of God. Much like a Sunday sermon, much like a Christian podcast or book. You hear the word of God, and then you apply it into your everyday life. This is how the Spirit moves. He uses our life circumstances with the word of God that we know to guide us in the right way. Saul knew from the word, from Samuel, you are to save Israel. And now at this moment, guys come up and say, hey, these guys here, these were the ones that were talking bad about you. These were the ones who wouldn't follow you. These were the ones that wouldn't go into battle with you, Saul. Let's deal with them. Let's kill them. Spirit comes in. Hey, Saul, remember what Samuel said. You're to save Israel. I'm to save well, if I'm to save, I can't kill them. They're Israelites. Thank you, Spirit. We're not going to kill them today because I've got the wisdom of the Spirit that came from the Word of God. And Saul established as king because of the wisdom. 
Finally, I want you to see what happens as an end result. Then Samuel says to the people, come, let's go to Gilgal. This was the place of worship. This was church. Let's go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. If you're taking note, final point, worshiping in the Spirit advances the kingdom of God in your life. Worshiping, you guys, God saved us. That's something to worship. God has won a victory in our life. It's called faith. He's given it to us. And just like Saul is experiencing victory, we get to live in victory. That's why when someone comes to Christ at Coast Hills, the church erupts in celebration because we're celebrating the victory of God. And so they enthrone Saul. And let me tell you something. There is nothing more worshipful of putting God on the throne than when we see people saved in our lives. God is established on the throne of our hearts when we lead people to him. Well, Samuel's watching this. Samuel's realizing something is happening in Israel. Samuel is seeing the fruit of his ministry. 30, 40 years, he's gone from town to town to town to town preaching the word of God. And now after 40, 30, 40 years of ministry, He's seeing revival. He's seeing the people celebrate. He says, come on, gang. We got to get to church and worship in the spirit. And Samuel leads them in a worship service. And they offer a peace offering. Let me tell you what a peace offering. Peace offering is barbecue. You had to give something to God and then you could have a barbecue. It's like 4th of July. There's steak. There's hot dogs. As you drive through your neighborhood, you got the hamburger smell, you got the steak smell, you got the hot dog smell. You know it's a huge celebration in the United States of America on July 4th because we got barbecue. It started with Israel. They had a huge barbecue. This was voluntary. They gave their service of advancing the kingdom voluntary to the Lord, and they rejoiced at their victory. That's where we close. Ephesians chapter 5, I want you to hear the way that we worship in the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing or speaking one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the reverence of Christ. It's directed. Paul says the way that we worship is with gladness. The way that we worship is expressing our gratitude to Jesus for saving us. Would you stand with me? The work of the Spirit, Saul exhibits when the Spirit came upon him. He was passionate. The Spirit came upon him. He was going to go save. The wisdom of the Spirit, oh, that's hearing a message and responding to it in your life experience, asking God's Spirit, show me how to apply this. The worship in the Spirit, that's what you get to do right now. 
We get to worship in the Spirit. It's voluntary. No one's going to force you to lift your hands. No one's going to force you to sing. It just erupts out of us because we've been saved. It makes you glad. Because let me tell you something. When you go to work on Monday and you go with the spirit of Saul, I'm coming to get you saved. There will be people that will despise you. You need the gladness of heart that's found in worship to continue to work and to live to advance the kingdom of God. So church, that's our life principle. Live to advance the kingdom of God. It's done by the Spirit. Let's worship in the Spirit.